0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com/donate. I the name Allah, Qul sabili. ila Ana wa Ala basiratin ana wa man ittaba'ani wa subhanallahi wa ma ana minal al Allahumma la taj'alna minal mushrikeen rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul 'uqdatan of lisani yafqahu qawli Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin wa salatu wa salamun ala sayyidil anbiya'i wal mursalin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd Today I will try to speak to you about ayah number 108 of surah Yusuf I Believe it to be one of the most beautiful ayat of the entire surah, um, and very extremely profound. It it fuses so many things together in such few words, and that's actually part of the the, the miraculous power of the Quran that Allah says very few words, and in those few words he captures many many realities. Uh, and whatever I attempt to do with you today, and trying to extrapolate what I can of this ayah is only, like I said in my post, a drop in the ocean. Like. I feel like sometimes when studying an ayah, you're just looking at an ocean in front of you. I don't think of the Qur'an as an ocean. I think of the ayah as an ocean. And all you do is you just get to jump in and get a little wet. And no matter how much you experience the ocean, you're only going to come out with a few drops. And there's this endless ocean that still remains, right? So what I share with you are some drops that I can pick up. And what Allah does in His wisdom is then people come, His, His, His slaves... Uh, come from every century, every corner of the world, different places. And Allah lets them experience other drops. And the history of, and I'm not even a scholar or not, not even anywhere close to that, but the scholars of our of our tradition and the people that contemplate the Quran all over the world and all over centuries, Allah opened different insights to them and different observations about the same ayah. So you're reading different tafasir, and one mufassir observed one mufassir observed observed one thing. And another person living in a different century in a different continent observes something else about the same exact ayah. And they have something in common and they diverge also. And they're not contradiction, contradicting each other. They're just observing something additional. It's almost like you're looking at a beautiful painting, right? And you observe this one corner of it. You see the contrast of colors here. Did you notice that cloud over there or something like that, right? You, you took a portion of that picture and you found that stunning. And somebody else says, yeah, I, I did see that. I didn't notice it to the detail that you did. But I was focused on this. And they observe something about another part of that same picture. They're all looking at the same thing. But they observe different things about it. And that's really what this ayah, you know, in many ways does. So I'm going to try to translate it first in very brief English. And then we'll go through the multiple phrases in it that are um, each of them worthy of discussion. So the first of them, qul say, declare, meaning Allah is now telling His Messenger ﷺ, to say something, and this is important because when Allah tells the Prophet to say something, he's basically saying, go and confront those people and tell them publicly. Right, so part of the Qur'an is, you know, ourselves, like for our own recitation, our own contemplation, our prayer, etc. And then there are parts of the Qur'an where the Prophet is explicitly being told, this especially, go and declare to them. And when you declare to them, the first word they'll hear is qul say. In other words, I'm not the one saying this, I've been told to say this. So even in the, in, when they hear say, why is he saying say? He should just say it, right? So I'm quoting my God who told me to say this. So it's actually now this divine authority with which these words are you know, slamming onto the people. Like they're coming down with this power. And that's, that's encapsulated many times just in the word qul. You know, so it, it almost reinforces all over again. Do you think these words that are coming out of his mouth are his? Because I told him to say this. Then, هَذِهِ Sabili, This is my path. This is my path. Um, man, I, I, I could stop here, but no, I'm going to keep going and translate the ayah in brief first. Tell, say, this is my path. I invite to Allah. I invite to God on the basis of insight, on the basis of clear vision. Okay, so say, this is my path. I invite to Allah on the basis of clear vision. I and whoever follows me. Or I and whoever were to follow me. was Allah And I declare Allah's perfection above all. And I am not at all among those who associate anything or put anything next to Allah. We keep our, I keep my faith in Allah as the exclusive only true God. And I attribute divineness or anything even close to it. And I give him no partners. Well, min I'm not from those kinds of people. These are the, it seems at face value, pretty straightforward statements, but each one of them is so profoundly loaded. So let's start at the top. The Prophet is saying, this is my path, right? Now when you say, this is my path, like if somebody says, this is my way, or this is how I achieve success, or this is what I believe, then they are putting themselves in a sort of podium. They're putting themselves in, on a pedestal when they say that. It's a position of aggrandizement when you say, I this, I that, or I the other. This is my way. You, you should follow me. I'm the one calling to Allah. I, I, I. So it's a focus on the self. And Rasulullah wasallam is... Has this incredible humility to Allah جل, that he would have trouble even saying those words unless Allah commanded him to. So Allah says, Say this is my path. He doesn't just say this is my path. He says, say, I know you'd you would say this is the path of Allah. You wouldn't say this is my path. You'd rather say this is the path of Allah, right? Like in the Qur'an, Fi Sabilillah, or Sabil Allah, right? Or Sabilihi, you know. So in the Qur'an so many times, it's Allah's path, His path, His path. So it's like the road and the owner of the road is Allah. And in the it's as if the Prophet ﷺ is saying, this is my road, this is my path, right? Which is a different perspective. It's sometimes Allah describes this as Allah's path. Now he's describing it as, he's telling the Prophet to describe it as his own path. So why, why the difference? So another place in the Qur'an that's similar to this, Tell them if Ar-Rahman had actually taken the son, if he did in fact have a son, then who would know more than I would? I am the first of all who can worship. No one worships more than I do. So if anyone knew someone was worthy of worship other than Allah and he had a son, I would be the first one to know. And the words there are, أَنَا أَوَّلُ الْعَابِدِينَ One of the meanings of that can be, I am first and foremost among any who engage in any worship. No, no worshipper of any religion, whatever they worship, even their false worship doesn't compare to the amount and the dedication of worship I do to my Rabb. So nobody even knows what worship is the way I do. Now this again is very self-praising. And it's not because the Prophet ﷺ didn't say this. He was commanded, Qul, in walad. And it's a reinforcement of the same idea. When the Prophet ﷺ is told to make a bold statement on his own behalf, you'll find a قُلْ behind it i you will know, find a backing behind it, and it does something else. It's not just that the Prophet ﷺ is saying, "I'm not putting myself on that pedestal." It is coming from Allah Azawajal. There's another thing here, and the other thing is, when I make this declaration, when I do this, it's it's standoffish, actually. You know, it's it's confrontational when you talk like that, and we'll dig into that a little bit. And when you talk like that, you better have backing, right? And <laughs> you want when you talk, if you want to talk big, you better have backing. Uh, and if he wants to talk this big, and without when someone talk, wants to talk big and they don't have backing, they're gonna get beat up. But Rasul can speak with full confidence, even if he stands alone. It says, My path, not the path of many, not me and my army, just I, my path. He can say that because of the power of qul behind him, because that qul represents Allah who told him and inspired him to say this, and will protect him on this path. Nobody can take him on this road because he has security. You see, when in the ancient desert, when somebody was traveling alone, they're an easy target for bandits. So people would travel in a caravan. So the imagery of someone taking a road, and they're the only one on that road, makes them the most vulnerable. And yet with the word "qul," nobody is more protected than he is. Everybody else should be afraid. That it's reversing the image just by the word قل. So kul hadihi sabili. Another beautiful thing here um, the, the, the phrase is this is my path right? right? So there's two parts here This and my path So let's think about the word this for a moment You can look at the word this in two ways And then there's a third add-on And I'll, I'll explain all three You can say for example I, I tell you a story And at the end of the story I say This is my story and and there you have it, this is my story, right? So, or this is what really happened. So you, you got caught by the cops and they have you in the interrogation room and they get your whole confession or whatever and then you say at the end of it, this is what happened. So the word this is referring to everything that came before, right? So one way of thinking about the word this is it's not referring to what is ahead but it's referring to what is before. Another way of thinking about this for example, Musa Alayhi was asked, what's in your hand? And he said, هذه asaya, This, or hiya asaya, It is my staff. Or if I said Hadihi This is a table. I'm not referring to something behind me or something in the past. I'm saying right in front of me, it's obvious. اسم uh, بعده the, the, pointing, the pointing word is being explained by what's coming right after it. What do you mean by this? Oh, I mean table. right? Or I mean microphone. This is the microphone. So the first way, if the word this is referring to what came before, let's think about it from that point of view when Rasulullah is saying, this is my path at the end of Surah Yusuf. It's as if he is saying, this entire story of a path that this man took, السلام, who was many times alone in the path that he took, many times he was being dragged along a path that he took, but he never left the path of Allah when he took it. That path is no different than my own path. This is also my path. You're not just reading about a man that came thousands of years ago and had this path that he had to go through because actually even though the events may be different, the history may be different, the people around him may be different, the trials may be different, but the fact that he was traveling towards Allah and I'm traveling towards Allah actually means even though our times and locations and generations and languages were different, the road we were on is exactly the same. This thing that I just described is no different from my own road. This is my path too. It's so beautiful. It's as if Rasul has tied his, his road to the road of Yusuf Salam's legacy, to the road of Yaqub Salam's legacy. And this concept of the Prophet being on the legacy of previous prophets, right? Following the pattern and the, the 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 legacy of previous prophets is reinforced in other places in the Quran. So Allah will say something like, um, like, tell them I'm not some new innovative kind of prophet. This is uh, this isn't new. This has happened before. If they're calling you a liar, many messengers were called liars before you. That's that's already happened before you. Then Allah says <laughs> This is Surah Al-An'am <laughs> Those are the people Allah guided He's talking about previous Prophets Those are the people Allah guided Then on their guidance take, take cues of leadership from their guidance The Prophet is being told Take from their guidance Now about that ayah Take from their guidance right? And take Iqtida so is from Qudwa Qudwa means leadership So take cues of leadership from them take on their leadership qualities in your legacy, right? And and continue that leadership quality. Listen what, what uh, Al-Qutb Al-Razi, Al-Qutb Al-Razi is different from Fakhruddin Al-Razi, by the way. وحقق الْقُتْبُ Al-Razi فِي حَوَاشِهِ عَلَ الْكَشَّافِ So in his commentary on Al-Kashaf, which is the Makhshiri's Tafsir, sorry, these are geek outs, but still, awesome stuff. أَنَّهُ يَتَعَيَّنُ أَنَّ الْإِقْتِدَاءَ الْمَأْمُورُ بِهِ لَيْسَ إِلَّا فِي الْإِخْلَاقِ الفاضلة والصفات الكاملة. That, that when the Prophet's being told take from their leadership and take from their legacies, he's being told to take nothing except the highest morals and the most perfect qualities, personality, you know, traits. Like forbearance and passionate, you know, compassion and perseverance and a spiritual connection to Allah and excessive gratitude, and humility, and other qualities like that. And this ayah certainly expresses a clear evidence على أنه صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet is the most blessed of all of them. How is this ayah that says, take from their leadership, they were the ones Allah guided, take from their leadership and embody those qualities, how is it saying that he's the best of them? Because when you, if you tell me, be more like this one, or be like that one, or take from them and take from them, you're basically saying they're the ones to take from so they're role models. So how is the ayah saying that the prophet who is to take is the role model or is in the highest place? Look at how beautifully Allah says this. So this is the explanation of it. He's absolutely the most blessed among them. That Allah listen to this because Allah includes in it the idea. He has embedded in this ayah the idea. That Allah endowed those people, those prophets, with bl- the blessings of many great characteristics and qualities. and بيه And when Allah commanded His messenger to take the the the, the leadership qualities of guidance from them, all altogether imtana alil isma and yuqal annahu lam it's actually becomes to protect the integrity of the Prophet. Allah didn't say be like them. He said, take the elements from them. So don't copy them. Right? So when you say be like someone, they're better than you. Right? But take something from someone is you're you're, you're taking a quality, but you're not taking the whole. And so he goes further and says, an yuqal. It has to be said, alayhi wa atabi jami وحصل تلك الأخلاق الفاضلة التي في جميعهم فاجتمع فيه من خصال الكمال ما كان متفرقا فيهم صلى الله عليه وسلم وحينئذٍ يكون أفضل منهم من جميعهم أفضل من جميعهم قطعا كما أنه أفضل من كل واحد منهم وهو استنباط حسن as if to say one prophet had the great quality of confidence موسى عليه السلام overcoming fear another prophet had the great quality of being thankful to Allah even in the middle of a crisis, you know, like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you can think of Nuh salam, kana abdan Shakura, right? You can think of prophets like Yunus salam, who never lost trust in Allah no matter how dark a situation got. Each one of them demonstrated a profound quality in different circumstances. Allah tested them and brought out some different quality in different prophets in different ways, right? And he says, it is as if Allah has told the Prophet to take the best of all of their qualities and fuse them into one person that were found individually in each of them. Like Musa had a tough temper, right? To the point where he punched someone. Or later on that he grabbed his brother's beard. That's not the quality the Prophet's following وسلم, right? So you've got, you've got different Prophets with different qualities. And the, the Prophet ﷺ is the merger of all of the best qualities that Allah guided those Prophets with in one, and that's what the ayah is saying. And th- that makes him the most blessed So in that sense, if you think of it that way, it is as if when the Prophet says, this is my path, and the word this is referring to the past, it's as if he's saying, Allah is telling him to say, this path of mine is actually the culmination of the best of the guidance given to all of the Prophets before you, And all of the good of their paths has fused together in the path that I have given you. And then you turn and say, this is my path now. This is now my path. As if this was the path of many before me, and now it's mine. Now Allah has given this to me. (laughs) It's amazing. Just, this is my path. Those words are just... Profound and you know, Raghib, uh, uh, not Raghib al-Fahani, Abdul Rahman Kilani in his Mufradatul Quran and his study of the synonyms of the Quran, he actually argued that the word Sabil is something that has been traversed a lot. So, Sabil is not a new road, right? Sabil is something that's been, you know, um, traveled quite a bit. And so, as if the Prophet like, Sallallahu so Alaihi saying, This path that I've chosen has been walked by many, but now it's reached this perfection, and now it's mine. This is Qul Hadihi Sabili. So it's got these comprehensive elements of all that came before. But in particular, I wanted to highlight something, not just about all the Prophets, but specific to the Surah we're studying. We're obviously studying Surah Yusuf. And if you study Surah Yusuf, um, you find that Ibrahim alayhi salam is the patriarch of the, this family. And when Yusuf says, tells the dream, even the father is happy that you are continuing the legacy of your father. Ibrahim alayhis salam, and then Yusuf alayhis salam when he's in prison, he also mentions that I follow the religion of my fathers, and he starts with Ibrahim alayhis salam Um, so if, you know, I wish I I did this in PowerPoint, but I didn't have time but, because I know some kids are watching too, and I want you guys to know this stuff well, right, so Ibrahim alayhis salam and you can think of his two sons you've got, and he has more sons, but two that we're highlighting, is Ismail and Ishaq, okay, Ismail and Ishaq, and then Ishaq has Yaqub and Yaqub has Yusuf. So they're all children of Ibrahim. And then from Ismail, many, 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 many generations of children. Finally, Rasulullah right? So that's, those are the two lines. But if you think about the line that connects with Yusuf. right? Ibrahim Salam and Yusuf have something in common. That Ishaq didn't have and Yaqub didn't have. So what I'm saying is, Ibrahim Salam has a son named Yaqub. Or sorry, a son named Ishaq and there's something different about ishaq and there's something different about yaqub and then there's something common again with yusuf so the great 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 grandfather and the great 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 grandson have something in common now what do they have in common ibrahim alayhi salam was expelled from his home ibrahim alayhi salam was alone and followed his religion when no one around him is believing in his religion ibrahim alayhi salam is being put to the test to abandon his faith in you know from the fire of the outside right and then there's the fire of temptation on the inside that is tempting, you know, that is coming at Yusuf Ibrahim is surrounded by a disbelieving people, an unsupportive society. Yusuf is surrounded by that isolation. You see his son, Ishaq, is raised by a believing father. Yaqub is a believing prophet, and he has believing children, and he has a somewhat of a support system, and raised by Ishaq. So there's some support system there. Islam is present. There's trials and there's hypocrisy, but Islam is present. They're not the only believers around. But it's as if Yusuf had to relive Ibrahim in some way, You understand that? So when he says, I follow the way of my fathers," you would think in prison, he would say, I follow the way of my father, Yaqub, Ishaq, and Ibrahim. So he would go dad, granddad, great granddad, right? He would go that way. But actually he says, وَاتَّبَعْتُ Ibrahim. I follow the way of my father Ibrahim, Yaqub, and I say, he goes in reverse order. In a sense, because actually his trials and his journey is closest to his great-grandfather, Ibrahim salam. Right? So now, think about this. What I'm saying is, there's, a, there's an interesting connection being made between Ibrahim and Yusuf. And then the Prophet is saying, this is my path. Right? So a third connection is being made, Ibrahim to Yusuf to Rasulullah in this surah. Why? Because the Prophet wasallam is also starting off alone. There's no familial support. In fact, he's even uh, standing up against idols like his father Ibrahim s.a.w. And if the story holds true, Yusuf stole an idol also. <laughs> right? So when he says, this is my path, he's saying, I have a deeper profound connection to Yusuf and then through him to Ibrahim. And that is the path that I follow. There's this beautiful connection throughout. And what does that connection teach us? It teaches us that the Prophet, our Prophet, we are now a fifth or more of the population of the world. We're not isolated. Right. And when Muslims live in a minority country, if you know, minority Muslim country, if you're a Muslim in New Zealand, right? Or if you're a Muslim in like Ireland or something or if you're a Muslim in a state in the United States where it has barely any Muslim population, or you just became Muslim and there's no Muslim in your family, right, then you feel like Ibrahim i salam, kind of like alone by yourself. And even me, I mean, I'm of Pakistani origin, right? Living in the United States, you feel like Muslims are a minority. And man, did I feel different when I traveled to Malaysia, when I travel to Indonesia, when I travel to Qatar, when I travel to, you know, Muslim countries. When I travel, you just get a different feeling. Why? Because being Muslim is the normal thing. Well, that's weird. We're supposed to be the weirdos. But now, everybody's walking to the masjid. That's, it's just It kind of hits you a little bit when you're living in a minority circumstance, right? But when you think about these prophets, we're, we're used to thinking ourse- of ourselves as a civilization, right? Of, of millions and millions of people. But actually, originally, the great legacy of the Prophet ﷺ is that he is standing on his own. And when you're alone in something, and you feel like you you have no human support, it's really hard to stand firm. Because everybody you've ever leaned on in your life wants you to trip. And even if they don't want you to trip, they certainly can't help you stand firm on your faith. They can help you in other things. They can be like an Abu Talib for you. But they can't help you with your faith. They can't help you against all your trials. The internal ones and the external ones. Yusuf had to stand on his own. Rasulullah is declaring in this ayah, just like they stood on their own. This is my path. Doesn't matter if I'm on my own. Tell them that. Let them know that. And this is important because the Arabs for generation before generation before generation for such a long time, they've been tribal people. And those of you that come from eastern countries and you have big families and extended families, in a sense you have 1% of what tribal life looks like. You know, how much you think about what other family members will say and do when you're going to make a decision. And how much do you get yelled at because your uncle's going to say this, your, all your cousins are going to say this, your grandfather's going to say this, they're going to say this, they're going to do this. <laughs> and you're just losing your mind like, all those people have to be pleased before I buy these shoes? <laughs> or before we... You know, go to that that hall, or we make this decision or that decision. Everybody has to be pleased. Everybody has to be on the same because it's tribal thinking, right? And in tribal thinking, when somebody changes their religion, when somebody takes their own path, whew, it's like they've abandoned everybody. You you get instructions. Don't talk to that one. That one's spoiled. They'll spoil you too. So people will protect their kids from the the, the one that's gone off one that's gone astray and you know what back in the day when you were the only one that's a believer the only one that's gone astray the lost cause is the Muslim everybody else is normal they became weird Quran says we're the ones that have found a path everybody else is lost but actually the world sees it that they're on the path and we're the ones that are lost you're the one that's crazy what happened to you why'd you become so extreme and in that moment the Prophet is being told stand tall and say, this is my path. Connecting it, I may not have support in front of me. I may not have people that I can lean on right now, but there are people that died a long time before I came, and I can lean on the spirit of their legacy. So I can feel their presence. I can feel the presence of the struggle of Ibrahim, and the presence of the trials of Yusuf, and the presence of my, my beloved Muhammad. When I stand alone, I'm actually not alone. I have a fan. This is my path. It's as if almost it includes the idea, this is my family. These are my people. You know, when you think of the word Ummah, you think of people that are Muslim around the world. This Ummah, right? You know how the word Ummah is used in the Qur'an? Allah talks about prophets from a long time ago. And you know what He says? Inna This, all this no doubt is your Ummah. A single Ummah when you think of your ummah you think of those prophets they're tied to you they're connected to you they're connected to you by by cause and direction by purpose this is an empowerment Allah gave because people feel empowered with numbers and Allah says no I want you to feel empowered by the path you're on and because you feel honored that you take a step that thousands of years ago your father Ibrahim took and thousands of generations after him his, his son Yusuf took And generations after him, his son Muhammad Rasul took. And now you get to take a step among those steps. You get to take a step towards Allah. So you let them know, Hadihi Sabili, This is my path. Then I said, okay, so this could refer to what came before, right? Then the word this could refer to what is in front of you. Like I said, this table. This is my table. This is the table. So when you say this is my path, it's as if the Prophet is in Makkah. He's an Arab, he speaks the same Arabic everybody else does. The Arabs wear certain kinds of clothes, he wears those same kinds of clothes. The Arabs eat certain kinds of foods, predominantly he's eating the same kinds of foods. Actually early on no dietary restrictions have been revealed either, right? And even with the dietary restrictions, for the most part the food is the same, the diet is the same, it's not like you're going to get different kinds of fruits. This is going to get the same kind of fruits, same kind of recipes. Then the housing is the same right? The, the market that he has to go and get food from and get clothes from is the same market. The currency is the same currency everybody else is using. The neighborhoods are the same neighborhoods everybody else is using. He shares a family with them. He shares a genealogy with these people. He shares an anthropology, a social history with these people. He's concerned about their well-being. He's a member of that society. Does he have a lot in common with Quraysh? Absolutely. If you, We don't have photography, but if there was such a thing, and you saw a picture, you would you wouldn't tell the kafir from the mu'min. not from appearance. We'd say, "MashaAllah al sheikhs. <laughs> it could be Abu Jahl in the picture. You wouldn't know, because he had probably had a beard and turban. The turban, Arabs wore turbans. That wasn't an Islamic thing. That was an Arab thing, right? It was a sign of nobility. So they wore it. The tribal leaders, especially. So the tribal leaders, if we had like photographs of Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab and those kinds of people right now, we'd be like, man, who's that sheikh? <laughs> what I'm saying is culturally they look no different. Linguistically, they don't look different. Right? They they have a lot to share with the man who was raised among them, Muhammad Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he's lived among them 40 years. I've spent a lifetime among you. The Quran makes that claim. I tell them I've spent a lifetime among you, as one of you, right? as one of you but then the thing is you can live in a country where you share language where you share french fries pizza where you share the same ice cream where you share the same kind of likes and cars where you share the same love of sports where you share almost everything but you don't share a path your, your path is different You have a lot in common. But something sets you apart. And that one thing actually defines you more than everything else. We're not more Muslim because we dress like a Pakistani, or dress like an Indonesian, or dress like a Senegali, or dress like a Saudi, or dress like a Qatari, or dress like an Afghani. That doesn't make us more Muslim. Those places, at one point, were mushrik. Even the house of Allah was flooded with the mushrikeen, wasn't it? It's not the place you come from or the heritage or the culture because you speak Farsi, you're more Islamic before you. because you speak Bahasa before you, because you speak Urdu or because you speak Arabic, you're more Muslim. No, that's not actually true. Because you speak English or you speak Spanish or you speak German or you speak French, you're less Islamic. No, that's not true either. That's absolutely not true. But you know what makes someone Muslim then? It's actually not the cultural markings of your clothes. It's not the language. It's not even the recipes, the food you eat. It's the the moral, spiritual convictions, your beliefs. And those beliefs lead you down a path. And that path makes you different from everybody around you. It doesn't matter if you speak the same language. Ibrahim is speaking the same language as his villagers. He's raised in that same area. He's got a different path though. And this is the kicker now. You are different. But you know what happens? When you live in a society that doesn't believe in Allah. What the Qur'an described as jahiliya, Ignorance, right? When a society is predominated by ignorance of Allah. You know what's crazy about that? Zayin لَهُمُ Shaytanu, a'malahum The devil makes their deeds beautiful to them. So you know what happens? They become very proud of their ignorance. They become proud of being shameless. They become proud of being reckless. They become proud of being defiant. They become, they, they, they revel in their arrogance. They celebrate heedlessness. They celebrate sin. And they show it off like it's something to take pride in. It's like a trophy for them. Their wine collection is a trophy for them. You know, their, their their you know frivolous spending is a trophy for them. Showing off of their material wealth is a trophy for them, exposing themselves, you know, doing all kinds of zin, all of that. That's a that's a something to be proud of. It's different from someone making a mistake Is someone taking a pride in it, right? This is they're proud of it. This is like we're liberated, we're free, you know, and they take, and then there's their religions. Or their beliefs, and they're proud of their beliefs, and they say every other belief is stupid. And atheists will say all oh, religions are stupid. Won't they? And they'll speak loud and proud about what they believe. And you know what happens? When you have a dominant culture, this is dominant culture. When you have a dominant culture, and somebody comes in who's, let's say, Buddhist. Let's say somebody's Taoist. Let's say somebody's a very traditional Hindu. Right? Right? we're not even talking about Islam right now there's a a traditional religious whatever right and they used to go to the temple and they have their their, their certain religious items they carry with them all the time and sometimes they just want to meditate they take their statue out and they want to meditate if one of those young men or women go to university here in America right and they want to do their Buddhist worship or they want to meditate or something in the middle of the campus lawn will they? they'll look around and say everybody's gonna look at me funny you know what's gonna happen? The people, those the dominant culture takes pride in what it has And every smaller po- population culture has to almost act like We need to act more like we fit in with the dominant culture We need to dress more like them, talk more like them, be more like them Like the things they like, hate the things they hate So we'll fit in better Because we want them to see us as one of them We don't want them to see us as foreigners or inferior or different. And the only way to be equal is to be like them. To act like them. To talk like them. And you know what that means? That means our culture, our heritage, our tradition, all of that's inferior. That's like, you know, don't, like, you know, people will, this is not just Muslims, but people from different religions, they have very difficult names in English to pronounce, right? So they'll come up with a convenient Bob. Right. And then their mom comes to visit them in college and she's talking to them in the local. Day. She's talking to the son in Vietnamese. Right. <laughs> or she's talking to the Somali young man, you know. And they're speaking, you know, uh, our, our family's speaking in Senegalese. And the, the, the son's getting all like awkward. Like, my friends are here, mom. Why are you calling me that? Or she wants to hug him or kiss his forehead. Right. Or pray to rakaz. And he's feeling like, Mom, it's not. And his friends are like, wow, that's weird, bro. That's okay. All right. You know, you know what happens in every religion that is a minority, every culture that's a minority, they feel, they start feeling, whether consciously or subconsciously, they start feeling inferior to the majority. I speak of this from experience. I don't want to make this, this is not research papers. I live this. When I first came to the United States, I didn't speak English. I felt embarrassed in high school. I felt inferior to everybody else. They made fun of me. My biggest motivation to learn English was to not be humiliated. That that was my motivation. You know? And then, even after you get to speak, then you have to... You can't dress a certain way. You can't even walk a certain way. You can't even say sentences in proper English a certain way because you will get wrecked. You have to emulate the cursing. You have to copy the clothing. You have to copy the strut in your walk to fit in with a certain group so you don't feel inferior. So you feel like you fit in. So you have to belong. And these jahil ideas, they're so proud of them. And they feel so powerful and mighty because they have numbers. And what does Allah do in the face of all of that? He says... Stand tall and say, This is my path. This is my path. It's what you call counterculture. There are two extremes. One extreme, we reject Western society. America is kufr. Right? Kufr, kufr, kufr. Now you're you you live in Indonesia and somebody's buying like Adidas sneakers. You're like, you're buying kafir sneakers. Don't buy kafir sh- t-shirts. Be Islamic, (laughs) right? There's nothing wrong with sneakers or t-shirts What's wrong is It's not the clothes It's not the technology It's not the cars It's not the infrastructure What's wrong is the values Wherever there's a value that we don't believe in We don't adopt it And whenever there's something good, we take it Rasulullah received gifts from different parts of the world He didn't say that's a mushrik gift, I'm not taking it Oh, that's a, that's a mushrik scent. I'm not going to wear it. That's a, the Hindu, Hindu shirt. I wouldn't put that on. Sahaba went to Roman, Roman clothes. They didn't say this is the people of the book. We don't want to be like them because we will be judged as them. No, because they were clear about their path, man. They were clear about what makes them Muslim. What makes them Muslim. So what are the two extremes? Let me spell this out for you. And today I won't finish the I'm maybe ha- not even halfway through. Discussing this ayah, but this path thing really needs hashing out, right? So, the two extremes. One extreme is, the path of Islam means we reject all cultures. We reject anything that isn't from, that we can attribute to the sunnah of the Prophet has no room in our life. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. I come from Pakistan and many of the cultural traditions in Pakistan actually can be traced to Hinduism that doesn't mean they're Hindu traditions that means there were some aspects of Hindu culture like the colors of clothes that people wear in weddings or the flowers or whatever else right? the the, the festivals those cultural traditions that don't contradict any teaching of Islam they don't go into Israf they don't go into Shirk they they don't contradict any teachings of Islam those traditions can stay But what Islam does is it cleans them up and makes sure they're in line with the path that Allah ordained. That's it. You don't have to do away with the culture. There's nothing evil about American culture. There may be elements of evil in it, just like there are elements of evil in every society. I can accept many parts of this culture and reject other parts of this culture. And you know what? I will be open about it. I will be very open about it. And because I will say what I've been, my Prophet was commanded to say, no matter how offensive it was, say, this is my path. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of saying who you are and what you believe and what you don't believe. What you accept and what you don't accept. Because people won't like what you have to say. People will judge you. People will consider you judgmental or misogynistic or whatever else. It's okay. Whatever label they want to give you, they want to give you. You, if you're convinced that your Rabb gave you something, you stand by it. You 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 stand accordingly. So, on the one hand, we stand by our values and we can accept any culture. Actually, Islam is the most adaptive, most profound, you know, deen that Allah gave it for all of humanity, not so all humanity could look like Arabs. If that was the case, then you know, because that happens to some of you younger. I know this is gonna sound politically incorrect, I don't care. But some of you got younger guys, you become more Islamic. And the next thing you know, the only way you can, you know, uh, rock Islam is you're going to walk around with a thobe on. Right? And I have nothing against thobes. Thobes are cool. They're not my thing. I'm a more Kameez kind of guy when I'm in the mood. But anyway, I used to wear a thobe sometimes too, back in the day, when I was feeling more Islamic. But you know what? It has nothing to do with being Islamic. It's just Arab cultural clothing in some parts of the Arab world. And by the way, those thobes, try running in them. What you got to do. That's what you got to do. How are you going to ride a camel in that thing? How are you going to ride a horse in that thing? How are you going to wield a sword back in <laughs> 7th century Arabia in that thing? You understand? Cultural clothes have changed over time. They weren't exactly like this. But we feel if we dress like the Arabs, for example, then we have become more Islamic. No. Dressing like the, the Pakistanis, dressing like the Afghanis, dressing like the Malaysians or Indonesians or Americans or Germans or French or who are dressing like someone doesn't make you more Islamic, the principles of dress have been given in the book. The, the, that's been given in the book. Not the culture which must be followed. Not the culture. The traditions that we must live by, the the, the the things that we must adore, the things that we must commit to have been given. Other things haven't been restricted. So we can exist in a culture. Yusuf can live in the castle, <laughs> right? He's not picking some other kind of housing. And there are priests in that society, there are pagans in that society, even his king believes in all kinds of crazy things. He is part of that culture in many ways He speaks their language He helps those people He understands where they come from And all of that stuff But yet at the same time He knows exactly what his path is He's a merger of both things The best of the culture And the the truth of his religion And they don't compromise What happens with people? When they say Well we want to become Well if we want to fit in We need to let go of Islam Because it just doesn't fit We have to let go of the religion No you don't You don't This deen is not a compromise None of the teachings of our deen are going to be bent or pulled away and you feel and I feel that we are slaves of Allah. That's not going to happen. This is not a negotiation. They wish that you could give a little, take a little. So they will give a little, take a little. They want to negotiate this thing. Right? This is not a negotiation. This is not a negotiation. So one, one solution that Muslims have come up with unfortunately for themselves is they'll completely isolate themselves from every culture. And the other is, oh man, if I want to be part of the world and I got to let go of Islam a little bit, come on, loosen up a little, will ya? Right? (laughs) Allah didn't expect either one of those things because they're not realistic. They're not realistic. And if you become an isolationist, you develop a hatred for the society. What is Yusuf a.s. Does he hate the society or does he love and care for that society? Is he able to relate to that society? Speak to them in a way that they understand because he's part of them? He's among them? Even Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I've spent a lifetime among you. And yet, even though he's in a place where they do dirty business, they cheat each other, they wrong each other, he's doing business with integrity from day one. That's what he's he, That's what makes him stand different. So when he says, This is my path, for the Muslim, for you and I, we now must understand what our path means. For many people in the Muslim world, if you're living in Pakistan, if you're living in You know, Indonesia, Malaysia, if you're living in the Arab world somewhere, living in Egypt, Morocco, wherever, you know what? The Adhan can be heard. The masjids can be filled at Jum'ah when they could be. Right? The Quran is being recited. There are Islamic channels on TV that are profoundly boring sometimes, but still, they're on TV. You've got Islamic media, you've got halal restaurants everywhere. Islam's here. Yay. Except there's bribery. There's politicians being bought out There's interest There's cheating people in business There's people not giving the inheritance when they should There's people lying, scheming, cheating, killing All this stuff is happening But at least we have good (laughs) tajweed That's not our path Our path is a path of justice, uprightness Our path is a path of principles and you know what? Sometimes being in a Muslim society, we get complacent into thinking maybe because we're a majority Muslim society then Islam is here. Is it? Is that what Islam looks like? Does Islam condone any form of classism? Does Islam condone any kind of oppression against any any group of people? Any group of people? because Just because of who they are? Does it condone that? Not the Islam that I've tried to study for the last 20 years. I don't find that in my religion But yet, we can we can engage in oppression Engage in injustice Engage in racism Engage in classism Engage in materialism And have the audacity to say, this is my path All of those things are the other path Not, not this path That's some other path, we're, we're deluded We have to wake up And, and understand what our path really means Rasul is being told defiantly to say to an openly aggressive culture against Islam, tell them, declare, this is my path, <inaudible> In face of a culture that says, we have the best culture there could ever be. <inaudible> the Pharaoh said, Musa and Harun are a... Moses and Aaron are a threat because they will get rid of your exemplary lifestyle. You know what that means? I used a big word, exemplary lifestyle. I'm gonna put it in easy words for you. It's simple. It means we are number one, baby. Everybody wants to be like us. All these people from different lands come to us to learn how we do things. They buy our stuff. They emulate us. They make paintings and portraits of us because we're on top. And these guys don't like that we're number one and they're trying to bring this new religion. They're a threat to us. So Islam is a threat against our national integrity, our pride. So you have to decide, are you loyal to nation or loyal to Islam? That's what they, the narrative they created. And in the face of that, you still say, I want what's best for these people, and I still stand by my path. You will not question that I want the best for this land. You will not get to question that. And you know why not? Because when you say, this is my path. Look at, it's not some that is my path. When you say, that is my path, I don't know what your path is about. It's a mystery. But when you are on the path itself, you say, you know what, why don't you come see what I'm walking on? Have I made it a mystery? Is there no transparency? Am I not demonstrating to you what this is and how good it is for the, for the people around us? For everyone? By my living example, I'm showing it to you. And I'm not hiding what this path entails and I'm not hiding where it leads. I, I'm not hiding some agenda. Politicians hide agendas. They'll give a speech of one thing and their backdoor meetings are a different agenda altogether. What do, we, what, what do we really want? How do we convince the people with some other lines? Right? So there's two. There's what's really the intention. That's a different meeting, And what's really, what's going to be said to dupe people that's on the microphone. When you say, sabili, this is my path, meaning my I'm here. I'm living on it. I'm walking it myself. So I'm not even asking you to walk something. I'm not walking myself, first of all. And second of all, where this leads is very clear. And I'm not hiding where it leads. And the, the next part of the ayah will actually even say where it leads. أَدْعُوا ilallah. I call to Allah. This path leads to Allah. <laughs> so powerful. Whew. So now here we've got this pride. You know, the, the, the things have been reverse engineered. People have pride in jahiliyah, And we have shame in Islam. We're embarrassed of our Islam. That needs to be flipped. We need to have pride in our Islam. We have to have confidence in our Islam. But you know that balance, that that equation will be balanced because pride in Islam can also create a false sense of superiority over others, right? That can go the other extreme. This ayah will prevent from that extreme too when we get to that portion. But before I leave you, I actually wanted to share a couple other things with you. When you declare your own path, why is that so hard? I mean, you're not, you don't have Quraysh coming after you when you declare your path. What you have, what I have, what the Muslims have, and what even a new Muslim has, what you have is some people closest to you. Right? It could be friends, it could be family, it could be professional circle, whatever. They're the ones that have a problem with you having a path. It's not some stranger. They don't care. They can blow hot air and move on, but it's the people close to you that may have a problem. For that, I want you to think about what people said to Salih Salih Alayhi one of the Arab Prophets, talked about in the Qur'an, he was basically an up-and-coming prodigy before being a prophet. So you know how in elite families nowadays, someone's being groomed for higher office, like they're going to put them through Harvard, they're going to go through a military academy, they're going to go through certain steps, they're going to connect to certain people because they're being poised to become... You know, uh, congressman or senator And then eventually there's a 30 year plan That they're going to run for presidency Right, so families with larger political ambitions When they have a son or a daughter That they have political ambitions for They already start grooming them towards that role early on Right, like the Kennedy legacy for example So they're grooming people for leadership And they already have all the connections in place And now they know how they can pass their their, uh, legacy on Right, their dynasty on. that's what's happening so, Salih was born in a family where he was groomed for leadership they knew he was gonna lead this country this, this, this area he, was, he had the personality for it he had the intelligence for it he had the family background for it they had aspirations in him but then he took the path that Allah guided him to Allah Azawajal reveals to him And he becomes a prophet And he starts calling to Allah And starts calling out the corruption that they're doing Now when you poise somebody for leadership That actually means he will protect our best interests Not the nation's right? He'll protect the legacy of the family And that means the corruption will keep on going And he'll make sure it keeps on going This is not for the best for the nation So when he speaks of justice And call, calls back to Allah This is what they say they said, Ya Salih, Salih, قد كنت فينا مرجو قبل هذا. Oh, man, those words pierce through the heart. They say, There was so much hope put in you among us before all this. We had so much hope in you, man. You were our rock star. You were our up and coming. Look at how, what a disappointment you are. <laughs> this, is, this is what you want your life to be. أَتَنْهَانَا أَنْ نَعْبُدَ ما يعبدوا أَبَاؤُنَا You're stopping us from worshipping what our ancestors did. And that doesn't just mean, we, we have this like clunky trans- reading of these ayat. like, you, you prevent us from worshipping the gods of our ancestors. No, they're saying our fathers, your father, his father, his father, his father, they honored this God. They honored this, they built this temple. You're gonna go against that? After so much hope we had in you? This is what we groomed you for, this is what we invested in you. This is what he has to hear day in and day out. And it's encapsulated in the ayah, ya so when you say this is my path, who people are disappointed and they let you know. They put you down, like like you you used to be in a good place. You were you were up here in our eyes. I know you're like down here, right? And look at the flip. Allah is saying, actually, this is the first time you've risen, and the first time you they you've realized how they were keeping you down, and they can see the difference. But because shaitan has flipped reality for them, good is evil and evil is good, they see it as you've humiliated yourself. They can't see it until the, 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 the blindfolds are removed. The, until the blindfolds are removed, they can't see. And the blindfolds are going to be, it's an important word I dropped on you right now because it's coming. I call to Allah with vision. We're going to dig deep into that vision portion, <laughs> inshallah ta'ala. Final comment for today. I said I made reference to it, but I didn't explain it. I said, the Prophet is being told, this is my path. But many places in the Qur'an, Allah calls it what? Allah's path From a, from a literary point of view, it's perfectly understandable um, When you're following your GPS navigation And you say, oh, this is our turn Right? Oh, you missed our turn, our turn Or you call somebody and say, is this your road? That doesn't mean they own the road What does that mean? Is that the road the house is on? Right? Or two people take two different highways And they're going to the same place They say, man, my, my, my highway is going to get me there in like 15 minutes What about yours? Mine, 30 minutes When you say my highway, does that mean you signed some contract? It just means you're on that highway, right? So we use possession for roads when we are traversing a road What that means here is when he says this is my path Very simple, logical way to understand that is This is the path that I'm on this is the road that I've taken. And this has been my road. This is this is what it is. When Allah says His path, He's saying He owns it. When you say my path, you're saying you're walking it. You're traversing it, right? So that's a literary, it's common sense. But there's another beautiful sort of, you know, connection that's been made by the two إِبَافَة. So one إِبَافَة being my path, one connection being my path, the other being the path of Allah. The path that Allah Himself carved. The, the road that Allah Himself laid the bricks for. The road that Allah Himself inspired so many other people to walk before me so that its, its footprints in eventually become visible so you can see it's easier to walk. And this is the path that Allah generated over generations for it to become easy enough. And now I happen to be on it. As if you are saying, I have chosen the path that Allah Himself, out of His mercy, especially laid out for me. You know how you say, roll out the red carpet? Right? I imagine somebody rolls out the red carpet and you go the other way. (laughs) The carpet is VIP treatment, isn't it? This is as if Allah has gone out of His way to make this path that He owns. And He said, I laid this out for you. I want this to be yours I want you to take ownership of it It is mine It belongs to me But I want you to cling to it as if it's yours And now I share something with Allah It's Allah's path And He made it my path too <laughs> It's Allah's deen And He made it my deen too It's deenullah It's deenullah But it's he also Is my deen also Allah made me share his Prophet. He's Rasul of Allah. He's my Rasul also. Is the book of Allah. Is my book also. Isn't it? Isn't there something really beautiful about that? Something that is it, so special and belongs to Allah. Allah wants me to have a share of that. And have have a piece of that connected to me. Now I have something that actually belongs to Allah. And Allah wants me to have it. That's the beauty of Sabeelī. This is my path. Let the difficulties come on it. Let the people make it harder. Let the circumstances make it harder. So what? There's obstacles on this road, and there's a destination. The and those of you guys that are gamers, right? When you play, you know, role playing games or whatever, you gotta go through different levels to get to the ending. And the ending may be super boring too, but you're still gonna play till the end because the ending's worth it for you. You're like, oh, that's the ending, you know. You know what? We are obsessed with epic endings. We're obsessed with them. The ending here, إلى رَبِّكَ to your, to your master is the final destination. It's, it's a path leading to Allah. And there's going to be a bunch of people along the way that will make this road easier to walk. There's going to be a bunch of people and situations along the way that are going to push you off this path. And you're going to find yourself off the road. And you're going to have to claw back your, your way on there. Or you're going to be running at some times, you're going to be crawling other times. You can be limping other times. Sometimes you'll find yourself, didn't even realize you turned around, you're walking the other way. In the opposite direction. Because some people around you started walking in the opposite direction. You're like, well, if they're walking away, I should too then. And so you start walking in the opposite direction. And then something will hit you. Maybe your consciousness will hit you. The light from Allah will hit you. And you'll say, no, I want to walk back towards that light. I want to be lit on judgment day by the light of Allah. So you turn back around. All of that is hadihi sabili. We didn't do ad'u ilallahi ala wasiratin. Ana wa man attaba'ani. Wa subhanallah wa ma ma'ana min al-mashriqin. We didn't do any of that stuff. So we're going to be on ayah number 108 for a little bit. Barakallahu liwalakum filqur'anilhakim. Wanafa'ani wa wa iya'akum bil'ayati wadzikilhakim. as Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I need to make my... Uh...